Welcome to the Basin Conspiracy. I'm Eniash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And I'm Katrina Stanton. <laughs> so, uh, one moment while I remember my last name. Um, today, <laughs> this episode is about choosing the kind of family structure that you want. Yeah. I was going to call it Should You Breed, but that sounds much more... Um... We, we, might be, we might be focusing a little bit more on, on childbirth and should you do it. Or should I do it? (laughs) (laughs) But, um... But I think we should refer to it also just in general terms as well. I mean, we're not here to make... To analyze just your decision. Although, while we're talking about it, you recently were thinking quite a bit about whether to have children or not. Yeah, for the past five years. Oh, shit, I didn't realize it had been that long. I spent a lot of time thinking about this and going back and forth and being a fence-sitter. I originally wanted to have kids. And by the time my husband and I got married, uh, we thought, oh yeah, we're going to go through the, the process of pregnancy and popping out baby. And we also want to go through the process of adoption. Okay. And that way we can have two kids and we can have all the experiences. <laughs> Not all of them, but at Some least those two. So <clears throat> when you originally wanted to have a kid, why did you want to have the kid back then? I just always thought that I wanted to raise a child and have that kind of family structure with kids involved. And I have had a privileged upbringing. I have cool parents. I think I'm pretty cool. (laughs) I think we think you're pretty cool, too. I think I'm I'm a pretty nurturing person. I always thought I'd I'd raise a kid. Um, And then some things happened. Um, I dated a few people who were definitely vehemently child-free. I had a friend who had a kid who I did not like the situation that she was in to the point that I was worried that it would happen to me too. Um, it was a lot of discussions, and so for a while I was thinking that I probably wasn't going to, and then that changed again in the last couple of years, the last few years. Okay. So, yeah, and um, I'm here, of course, with Inyash and Steven, who are both child-free mm-hmm. and intend to stay that way. Yes. Originally, I could go either way. I was like, yeah, sure, I could I could have kids. As I've gone on and thought about it more, I've realized I do not want kids, and I do not think I would be the kind of person that could... If I was stuck with a kid, I think I could figure out how to raise them pretty well, but I wouldn't want to. Mm-hmm. There's enough else that I want to do with my life that I don't think I could be happy giving up all that time and dedicating it to a child instead. My thought process was similar. Um, I don't know if there was ever like a point where I was like actually a thinking adult where I was like, let's have kids. But, you know, growing up, you kind of just, that's like the normal and you kind of imagine that's where your life will go. Somewhere down the line, I don't know. I think I might be an okay parent. I think it's not so much that I'm worried that I would be distracted from doing other things that I would like. It's that I know that what I would want to do would be completely rewired upon becoming a parent. Mm -hmm. And that like something I'd find nothing more fulfilling than pushing my child on a swing as opposed to like doing something that if I wasn't, a parent I find more fulfilling right I don't know why you would why do you well I guess that's part of the reason that I didn't want to in the first place because I watched my friend well she always wanted children badly um, she got pregnant she had a baby and then everything changed she used to be super adventurous and and go out and travel around the world all the time she used to paint she was very cr- highly creative and I would come over and ask her what she'd been up to. And she'd been, oh, mostly staring at my baby. Did she say it like forlornly or like she had a great time doing it? 
it's all she wanted to do. That's what I'm saying, right? But I, but I, I was like, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> right. But I also don't think it would, because I don't, I don't see how I would find fulfillment in staring at a sleeping baby all day, every day. Well, there's some people, I guess, who don't have that radical of a change when they have kids, but it's a risk. I've said that evolution has killed you once and it can do it again, and obviously I only say that to people who have gone through puberty because. What? <laughs> well, because I get it, I get it. Yeah, I, I, I cannot relate to. I, I can sort of relate to my prepubescent self, but I know that my prepubescent self would not relate to me at all. He, he would be thinking, why are you wasting all this time and energy going after girls because they're not all that special anyway, and what's the big deal? And. It was a radical personality shift, and I can see how if hormones in my body changed me to the point where I am happy spending hours just smushing my face against a girl, um, uh, that I could I could possibly see hormones coming along and changing me again, where I could spend hours just looking at a baby, googling or doing not googling, but you know what babies do? Googling, 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 googling. about baby stuff. <laughs> They're like, hey, how do I tease? <laughs> <Right>. What is? <laughs> What is the world? But I, I could see myself having a dramatic value shift when I have children, and I don't want to do that. I'm very happy with who I am right now. For me, well, that changed. very happy in quotes. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like a pretty happy person. I, I have my moments. Okay. For me, that change has already kind of happened. So part of me uh, kind of realizing that I do want to have go back to original plan mm -hmm. um, at, at the time of marriage and, and have a kid again is is because I really want one. So for a while when I was thinking I wasn't going to ha go through the process and have a kid, I was wistfully kind of thinking, well, maybe I'll meet someone who has a kid. Maybe I'll meet someone and they'll have an awesome kid and I can be their stepmom. <laughs> and I was like, just admit to yourself that you want to have a kid and also maybe be a stepmom. I don't know. I'm also thinking it's nice to kind of hold that card in reserve. You know when you like a video game a lot and there's an expansion for it that has come out, but you aren't done with the original video game yet, so you're holding off on getting the expansion? I think maybe that's what having a kid is like. Like right now, <laughs> I am very happy with my life, but if it ever gets to the point where I'm bored with what I'm doing, I can always pop in the having a kid expansion and see how that works out. It's a good fallback plan for something fun to do. Well, here's the other part of that. Um, you talked about spending so much time on on kids and not being able to spend time on other aspects of life maybe maybe traveling maybe going out and having adult time i don't know climbing rocks whatever I mean, you can do that with a kid but it is a pain in the butt i've seen it hmm. rock climbing with children oh my goodness they're so small and weak they are <laughs> they're awful at rock climbing so so my plan and i don't know if it'll work out is to get more parents involved that sounds like a way to kind of offshoot some of the dedication required right well so it sounds like we are about to talk about uh living in larger group settings before we do that do we want to talk about the pros and cons of actually having children yeah sure okay. um so yeah before we talk about being poly or fusing families or that kind of stuff and having kids let's talk about all of the struggles that i've gone through even thinking about procreating myself um instead of adopting for example mm. Well, even even before that, how about happiness? Right. That's probably what you're getting at, right? That is that is one of the things I'm getting at, yeah. That it seems to be uh, somewhat out of style to have children in rationalist communities. And 
out of style is not really a good way to say it, uh, but it's something that doesn't happen nearly as often as it does in the general populace. And it's not looked down upon. There's quite a few people who are having kids, but it's not the default life course. Nor should it be. Right. And I think one of the reasons is a lot of people have hesitation about bringing new beings into the world when we don't really understand how to make the beings that uh, we're bringing into the world have a happy existence. Seems like an overwhelming responsibility to create a life and then maybe have that life be miserable. Ah, I didn't know you were going that way. I thought you might have been going the way that uh, turns out that being a parent makes you less happy on average. You, you maybe. Con- well, maybe, yeah. Some research indicates that you consistently you score your happiness uh, less than you did pre-baby than in like until yes. like 20 years later. Hedonic index uh, is definitely lower, but people generally also feel much more uh, fulfilled in their lives when they have children. Yeah. So, so it's offset with a different type of happiness. You mentioned that evolution killed you once, it can kill you again. I liked that quote. For me, agreeing to, to become a parent would be a lot like signing up for a software upgrade where you're not quite sure what you're getting. Right. And the software is your brain. And so it could just completely rewrite your values in a way that you wouldn't have liked a year before. But now that you're there, you're like, well, I'd never want to go back, right? So that isn't super appealing to me since I'm somewhat happy with the way that I am now. And just kind of throwing dice on it doesn't sound super attractive. And based on, you know, what we've observed of all other humans, it's probably not going to be catastrophic. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, that that's not really the concern. I guess it's just... I wouldn't want my values to shift so much that I couldn't really identify with my past self. Like, I I don't think I'd ever... I can't imagine going through so much of radical change that I would be completely incomprehensible to my past or future self, depending on which way I was looking at it, but just not a way that I would find desirable. For me, the happy middle ground would be being a close uncle. So, like, when I was living in Fort Collins with my brother a few years ago, he had a dog, and I had all the fun of being a dog owner, minus <laughs> most of the responsibility. And so I think that level of parenting would fit me perfectly. So, because I, I like the idea of helping a young person grow cognitively and, you know, have experiences and that sort of thing. But making that a full-time job sounds like a drag to me. So that nice middle ground would be perfect. If I can, if I can land that somehow, that's, that's, that would be a good way to go. Every now and then you run across articles on the internet that have titles like, Women who don't have children have empty, meaningless lives, and I'm not ashamed to say it. (laughs) Which, first of all, is insanely insulting, and I want to stab the person who said that. But the fact that someone could write an article like with that sort of title, well, maybe it just means they want clicks. But it also, I'm assuming, means that they have had a rather dramatic value shift since they had the children, that they're able to say something like that. My friends with a difficult child... Oh. I didn't mention that he's also, in addition to she's obsessed with him, he's also a really difficult child, um, unusually so. She she keeps telling me over and over again that she she wants childbirth for me. It's such it's such an amazing experience. It's, it's such an amazing thing to go through. She specifically said that she wanted me to breastfeed. It's like because a- she she wants me to have the the joy and closeness. She's like, I've never loved someone like this before. It's like an alien infestation has come and taken over <laughs> her brain, and now she's trying to spread it to more people. It's kind of exactly what I was picturing, like, at the end of Three Worlds Collide, where they merge with super happies, and it's like, afterwards, you'd be talking to your friends who didn't merge, like, this is great, you should really try it. And right. There's no going back, but trust me, you'll like it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I was pretty cool with the super happies, so well, that makes me feel a little bit better about it. Good. <laughs> <laughs>
I there there's interesting articles about how the the fetus is actually competing with the mother's body mm-hmm. for resources, and so it does latch on and start feeding in hormones and kind of like a hostile takeover to uh, to preserve itself. So that's the, the exact opposite feeling that you were <laughs> describing. Well, it's like, it's true, but also I think pregnancy is really cool in its brutality. <laughs> yeah. I, I would agree with the, the brutality. Of... I'm not sure I would agree with the cool part. Let, let's keep I think Katrina really was, neat. Katrina was also the one who talked about how cool it was to host a parasite. So it's true. It's that's really legit what we're she's talking the one about. who owns Deathstalker 4, so we know she's into the brutal shit. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Tim's. Okay, well, it's in your house. <laughs> we have a lot of great movies yeah. in here. Katrina's like, watch what my uterus can do. Watch what my body can it's do. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. It is actually pretty. You gotta put it through its paces. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of why. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be going through childbirth directly, but I'm also about kind of like taking things easy. So uh, <laughs> I, I like the I like the, the relaxed path more. Not not like let's push my body to the limit. That doesn't super appeal to me. But I can see how it could to some people. I'm not I'm not disdaining that point of view. But that's that's not also something that attracts me. So. It is interesting that a lot of people I meet who don't want children are the kind who uh, are somewhat un- unhappy with their own lives. Not, I wouldn't say unhappy, but went through emotional difficulties. I'm sorry, do or do not? That do not want children. Mm-hmm. I had a very difficult late high school and early college period, and I, I don't know if I want uh, to put someone else through that, and seeing as... I have that. That means yeah, I am genetically likely to pass that on to my children, somewhat likely anyway. And yes, I know there's triggering events, and not everyone who has the genes will experience that kind of thing. But I don't feel right knowing that I would be creating a being that might go through that sort of thing. Okay, that makes sense. The person who would otherwise be the obvious choice for genetic genetic other parent mm-hmm. of a kid I would have. Um, has, has chosen not to do it for for reasons like that. Not to pass on genetic, various genetic diseases that a kid might pick up. I can think of a few better reasons to not have kids, right? That's that's a, if you say the phrase bad parent, you tend to get people throwing things at you. But I think it's the bad parent who says, you know what, I have all these problems, but I want to I wanna have lots of kids. Which means you want, which means you want to probably create more people with the same problems that you had. Even if, like, you lived a, a life that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, you're going to choose that for other people. That seems kind of like a bad decision. Here's my philosophy. People who don't want to have kids should be empowered to not have kids. Yeah. People who do want to have kids should be empowered to have kids or raise them. Eliezer is um, very, as far as I can tell, psychologically healthy. He seems to have a great time with life, but he has chosen not to have children, and he said until humanity can create new life from scratch and know how to make it work well, it would be morally irresponsible to just roll the dice and bring something new into the world. There's a somewhat popular version of that argument that gets circulated. I'm not sure what the full version is. I was going to look into it and then didn't find time slash desire. I'm sure someone's heard of it out there. Feel free to write it in. Um, That... People born today, on average, don't have like the best possible lives of like people who have ha- who have existed in the past, and that's so you're, really? you're you're which is a weird argument to make, but there is some coherent version of it that I've read about and I've read philosophers talking about it. 
Can you find links and put them in the show description? I Can will. you tell me awesome. why? Because um, at the outset, I'm thinking that we probably have better lives than our ancestors in many different ways. I think so too, and I don't think I think the the example they write up was something like Cleopatra versus like the average kid today or something. Didn't she and kill so... herself with snakes? <laughs> How do you kill yourself with snakes? She did. But... She got. She took snakes and she's like, bite me, and oh. then they did, and then she died. Maybe it wasn't Cleopatra. Maybe it was like some <laughs> general pharaoh. I feel like Egypt was involved. In any case. I will find a better version of it and post it. But the idea that by some measure you're you're producing people that maybe like Eliezer was saying that it's not that they're not as happy at not as happy as possible because that seems like a, a fuzzy goal okay. um, and a high bar, but who might have lives that are less inclined towards as much well being as is usually attainable or something. Like I said, there is some stronger version of that argument I think, and I don't know what it is. There's also the idea that... It's been a number of years since I read what he wrote, so I really hope I'm not misinterpreting him, or misrepresenting him, rather. I, I really uh, got the feeling that it was just the the moral negligence of not knowing if you were going to create a happy person or, or an unhappy person. That you don't want to take that sort of risk on creating a new being. Yeah. Or, you know, like, there are people who might subscribe to something similar to Jason's mindset, which we talked about, or which we talked to him a while ago. Yeah, that um, all life is negative. Or, you know, you could even take, like, a less extreme version, but to say that, yes, you'll make somebody that has a somewhat happy life, but they're going to increase the aggregate amount of suffering in the world, because mm -hmm. they won't have a perfect life. Right. And that's an inherently bad thing. Isn't, and... isn't this maybe, well, not Jason's argument, but Eliezer's argument, as Eniash has <laughs> described it, mm -hmm. isn't that a good argument for personal eugenics, where you try to uh, stack the dice in your favor? Like, I'm happy with my life. I love the world. Mm -hmm. I love being in it. I love doing things. Maybe I should be looking out for somebody else who who has similar characteristics and is just a happy person in that way. Could possibly work. That does something stacking the deck in your favor, and that, I think, is the responsible way to go about it. If, if you're going to have children anyway. Right, mm -hmm. exactly. I mean, so I like the idea of empowering people on, on both sides, whether they choose to not have children or have children. And yet, my inner totalitarian says that not everybody should be allowed to have as many kids as they want. And that, again, gets you some looks and some, some garbage thrown at you. But Man, like, it's, it's fair, though, because there's an argument that in the long run, the crazy religious fanatics who say breed, 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 breed as much as you want, uh, can are going to take over the uh, universe. Because the rest of us are going to constrain our breeding, and eventually we will be outbred to such a amount that they will... If we go and colonize Mars, who's going to go? If even 2% of them are the crazy religious fanatics, they're going to own all of Mars. I don't think that's fair. Okay. I mean, one, that's where my husband came from. Right. Mars? Crazy I'm... religious fanatics family. <laughs> I know. That's, 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 that's just where I funny. came from, too, actually. Although they were not into the breeding as much. Yeah. And um, I'm really happy that he exists. Yeah. And I'm happy that you exist. Oh, thank you. I don't, I don't think that you would be terrible choices for colonizing Mars. <laughs> I and I think that everybody has something really special to offer to the world. The counter argument is that those sorts of religions tend to have a low retention rate, that they may spawn a lot of people, but not all of them stay in the religion. The way I've always looked at it is, if your way of perpetuating your ideology is just to bang out as many kids as possible, you might have a shitty ideology. The quiverful movements. Yeah, that maybe you'd be should let your ideology stand up and fight in the ring of ideas rather than in on the battlefield of who can have more kids. 
it would be uncharitable to say that if these people acknowledge the truth of that statement, they know that they would lose, so they choose not to take that, that avenue, right? Right. And yet there might be something somewhat to that. And, you know, it also doesn't really matter, because in the end, regardless of how high-minded my ideals are, if I lose, I lose, and they take over the universe. So do you think that there's a moral imperative for people who you think there should be more of to pop out more kids? I'm always happy when people that I think high of have kids. Um, and less happy. I'm not going to go forth and say that there's a moral imperative for them to have kids, but uh, I encourage it. You know what I was looking up before you guys came today? What's that? The value of a human life. In terms of? The economic value and how different agencies valued it. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think, the EPA, it was over $9 million per Wow. And uh, the Department of Transportation, about $6 million per. At the, at the lower end. I want, to of, read, I want to read what you were reading. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I, I will, thought it was like 900000 Um, no, no. No. That was that was about maybe a decade ago. Huh. Um, people were, they were trying to figure out how people valued their own lives and came to around a million dollars mm-hmm. based on the decisions that people make, the risk that people will take. But um, but there's all sorts of other things to consider, right? It sounds like not all How lives much, yeah. cost equal, though. No, they don't. There's yeah. a range. And um, that kind of makes a lot of sense. And there can be lives that have negative costs. For example, people who go around murdering other people. Mm. They're just, that's $9 million every time. Mm. <laughs> if you rack up enough of those, you're really in the red. Let me, let me qualify my statement in that some people are <laughs> worth more than others. If uh, me and the president of the United States are in a burning building together, one of us values one of us is should be valued more to someone who can only run it and save one. The person who the country depends upon, who's you know whatever, maybe not even the president, mm-hmm. somebody more important. You're right. If, Presidents are known murderers. If, <laughs> if me and Elon Musk were trapped in a building, you should probably save Elon Musk. He'll probably do a more net positive impact on the world than I will. Well, and he is um, he is literally economically worth more. Too. He just simply has more more money in the bank. But right? is he the co-host of a podcast? I think not. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and we don't want to just put it down to who has more money in their bank account either, because that'd be no, that'd be no. pretty calculus. But I think that probably enters into it because how much money can how much money can they spend? Right. Like, uh, what's what's the net worth? Plus, how many years of productivity do they have? Right. Plus, how much good do they do for other people? How many networks are they attached to? You know, we were talking about how to value animals, and um, a lot of that's actually a lot more codified when it comes to humans. Okay. Quality life years, you hinted at, is another thing to really anticipate there. Mm -hmm. You know, me versus a 119-year-old, they've got maybe a few months left, right? So hopefully they'd pick me. If they've made it to 119, they may never die. (laughs) That's true. They might be the first person to 250. (laughs) What about a toddler? Yeah, so, like, you don't want to just... I, I'm not, I, I want to read more about what you were saying as far as uh-huh. the, the worth of people because I am not used to thinking of it in terms like that. People are inclined for good and bad reasons to prefer children over adults uh, as far as like if I can only save one scenarios, right? From a traditional perspective, it's obvious you go with the child because you need to keep replenishing the human population since we die off when we're older. Right. That's, I think, why, that's, I think one of the, the reasons we're... we're but if from you, a like... more economic perspective, the child has only had, or the toddler has only had uh, a few years invested into it. Whereas if you get someone who just came out of college, you've spent 24 years, maybe 22 years, investing 
tons of energy and tons of money into training this person and they are about to hit their productivity and start paying society back for all that and so they they would be the one that you want to save more probably <laughs> if you're not thinking in terms of your apish hind brain right Right. So, so our, our inner apes are all about saving. In terms of, Apparently, uh, our apish hind brains really prefer thirteen-year-old women. Do you know why that is? I was actually going to bring that up. What are thirteen-year-old women the most expensive? It's because in in the olden days, and I mean the really olden days, that was when you got people married. start having kids themselves. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it turns out that there was an experiment done where they asked parents at what Just age. People. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, they, in the one experiment, they asked parents where okay. they. It was something along the lines of, at what age, if your kid died, and I don't think they did it, like, a range per family, but they asked a bunch and gave different age ranges, would you be the most devastated if your kid died? And it turned out 13 to 16 years old was, like, the most devastated range, because that's right about when they're about ready to have... Well, they did, the... it, they did it for cultures all over the world, I think. And anyway, the theory is that in hunter-gatherer societies, that's when they start, you know... Being ready to procreate. Exactly, yeah. procreating. So that's when you become most valuable, is when you're at your pe- reproductive years as a young teen. Yeah. <laughs> Only tangentially related, but it, it sparked in my head. Remember in the Bible that verse that any woman who's menstruating has to go off into her own hut for seven days and cannot be touched by men because she's unclean? There's something in some... I'm you guys sure don't remember that? I do. In okay. fact, it's one of the... There's, there's a fun thing about it, and you can't like sit where they've sat in some versions i'm not sure if it's christianity or not you can't be in their shadow uh, <laughs> i know i know that's, that that's, one i had not heard that's popular in uh northern india okay um but, there's there's even a huger disdain for menstruation because it's all big and scary or something i mean it's not you know i'm not trying to no i am somewhat belittling it I, I, that, I, that's I remember, a stupid thing to believe <laughs> i just i remember we should get back on topic but i remember reading uh that in the more traditional societies that probably wouldn't have happened to a woman maybe more than four or five times in her life what because you kind of start having kids. Oh, right. Kind of start having kids right away, and then when you have a kid, afterwards there's the whole um, breastfeeding period where apparently you don't have uh, periods either, mm-hmm. which I did not realize. And then after that, you're kind of back to being pregnant again, and so there's probably not going to be more than five or six actual week long vacations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a bummer. Week long. In a single hut vacation. Yeah, right. it's not exactly a retreat. It's more of like, <laughs> you can't come back until you're done with all that business. Right. It's, it's <laughs> sex is bullshit, but I just, I was shocked to hear how uncommon it might have been. That's an interesting way to look at it, and that's, there's probably something to that. That's a, that's a fun thing to think about. My question for you guys is, how do you value future lives that don't exist yet? That is a really difficult question. Can they you were... be more specific? Yeah, um, so so I guess in, in two different ways. The future lives of people who definitely will exist, right? So 500 years in the future, valuing, valuing those lives. Do you depreciate it um, by the article that I'm going to share? So it's 7%. Mm-hmm. If you do that in 500 years, um, it, the value of a single life is between $100 and $200, right? How is that the case if they're 9 million now? Because if you depreciate at 7% per year... Oh, 7%. I thought you meant 7% total after 500 years. Okay, yeah, I gotcha. Um, that's a weird... I don't know if I'd have thought of it in those terms. Certainly, I guess no one would say about 7% less every year. But Sur- that... Surely it depreciates that, right? Your value of future humans? Um, on, an, on one intuitive level, and I'm kind of spitballing as I think of it, um, 
you know, like I identify less with civilization a hundred thousand years from now as I do with civilization a century from now. And so like, it's harder for me to, to feel emotionally that I should care as much about them as I do about like my direct descendants or my direct, uh, the people I might interact with or something. And yet intellectually, I can't see why that should possibly be the case other than the fact that there might be a lot more people in the future, so any one would matter a little less, if that's the way you're inclined to think about things. Robin Hanson has an interesting point. I that... can't wait to hear Robin Hanson's analysis. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, it's it's uh, an interesting point that there's two ways we can have lots of people. We can either have tons of people right now and burn through the Earth's resources quickly, or we can have only a little bit of people strung out for a long period of time and burn through the Earth's resources slowly. Is he not including... Like, space travel and M's in, this, in either of those scenarios? Yeah, this is assuming that there's a limited amount of resources. And that we, we're, you know, not going off planet. Just just thinking of the total amount of people that the Earth can support over its lifetime. Sure. Uh, and he was wondering, why do some people think it's best to have a whole lot of people in a short time span, and others want less people over a long period of time? Because some people think that innovation is linked to world population. And the more people there are, the more innovation there is. Okay. I apologize for my, my crying dog. We obviously do not value that for a child's life. <laughs> or at least her. Any... Enough to let him into the podcast room. That's right. <laughs> you don't have a lot to add right now. No. This isn't the animals episode where you guys could hang out. Yeah, I if there's if there's a strong correlation between population size and innovation, that's not just like happenstance of history. I'm not aware of it. Like as it happens, we've had more innovation in the last few centuries than we did in the preceding several thousand years. But that might be due to other factors, not just like the fact that there's more people per square foot or something, right? Or square meter, whatever. In freedom units, we call them feet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I would be somewhat inclined to say let's stretch it out because the farther we've come. From the past, the farther along we've gotten technologically, continuing that trend, the longer we last, the farther that will go. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we just, let's see if we can hit 20 billion by the year 2050, and the Earth doesn't make it through the year 2300, that sounds undesirable, right? Yeah. I'm also of the opinion that if we have too many people too soon, we can crash something. Whereas if we uh, draw it out, the Earth can recycle a lot of the waste we put out. Okay. And like, so and that... like the less people we have, the fewer we have to take care of. So, like, you know, assuming that not everyone on Earth is self-sufficient, some people need need help. And, like, if, if you're just making as many people as you can for the sake of making them, uh, you might but have... you assume that you have the same percentage of ultra-productive people at all times? Or do you not assume that? I don't... I guess I'm thinking in the terms of, like, what we're talking about with, like, people who tend to have more kids being highly religious than I think of, like, the world's bottom billion percent of people who are flourishing, sometimes in religious cultures or otherwise, but, you know, often without access to child-preventative interventions... And thus having more kids. So, like, if they if everyone's producing at the same rate, then that might be just we'd increase the number of people who are not living optimally satisfying lives. If you do buy the premise that the more people there are, the more innovation there is, right? The more technological innovation, innovation in general. Mm-hmm. Um, would that be an argument for people having children? It would, because we're on a limited timeline. We only have so many thousands of years until an asteroid hits Earth or somebody creates an AI or something. And if we can get more innovation to solve those problems faster, 
we can avoid those problems. Yeah, I would be in a similar boat, except I'd use that to directly challenge the premise that we're staying on Earth for the whole time, right? So if innovation continues to go up, we won't just rot out on one rock. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll expand. On the other hand, humans have a really big carbon footprint. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite bumper stickers is, my SUV has a smaller carbon footprint than your dog. Because it's true. The, the dog? The dog, yeah. Well, certainly than your honor student. Well, certainly than your honor student, yes, but even the dog. So, that's an, so we have a couple ethical questions. One, overpopulation is an issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's in, there are people who are starving. Who, who need homes and resources. Yeah. So why have more kids when everybody else is doing it? Another question is humans weigh heavily on the earth and the impacts of that not just don't just affect other people negatively, potentially, but um, they definitely affect other species negatively. So is it selfish of me to say that if I were to have kids, and I am going to say this, if I were to have kids, I would want them to be genetically half mine? Or heck, I'd even like one that's a clone, just to see if I can do a better job than my parents. <laughs> I have a clone. That's true, you do, but not one that you raised. That's right. How's yeah. your clone? He's good. I have a twin brother, if that was confusing to anybody. so That's very sweet. I wish I had a twin. Yeah, all the, all the rumors about us being able to read each other's thoughts are true. So. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> but is, is that selfish? I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay. What's his name's first law, uh, which I don't even know is an actual law, but uh, that all traits are at least partially heritable. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see, when you asked if I am happy, uh, you, that's not the term you used. You used whether it should be morally required for people who are awesome to have children. But uh, I, I do want people with traits that I like to have children because I want to see more of those in the world. One of my goals is to make the world more the way I like it, and having more people in it that have traits that I like is one of the ways that that can happen. Why do you want your kid to be half yours then? You can choose potentially two other people who are super awesome and combine combine their genes and then... Okay, here's the thing. First of all, my parents don't listen to this podcast. But if ever in the future my parents go back and listen to these, mom, dad, please don't listen to the rest of this episode. Stop right now. Okay, good, we're clear. So, Mr. Mr. Brodsky, um, since you're still with us, <laughs> there's no way that turned you off. <laughs> Seriously, no, they should they should stop listening right now. Like, give me a call or something, and we can talk about this instead of his, his hearing it on the episode. But, one of the reasons I don't want to have kids is because I see the amount of time and effort my parents put into me, and the payoff that they got, which is basically shit. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, shit payoff? I have abandoned their religion. Uh, I don't see them very often. I don't feel like I have very much in common with them. Really, my relationship with them really took off once I moved out of the house and didn't see them for six months. And then I could go back and visit them, you know, every month or so is a good time for me. And I don't talk to, with them on the phone much. They've, I know this hurts them because they've actually said it to me. They, they say, we think you're distancing yourself, but I just, I don't have that much in common with them. I, I still harbor some resentment towards them. And... I have the distinct impression that if I were to have kids, there's a decent chance that the same kind of thing would happen. Would you be unhappy if they became hyper-religious and you didn't have a lot in common with them? Or I would, in your imagination land? I would much rather invest that time and money in building relationships with friends that I have a lot in common with and that I can actually share my life with than putting it into a child who's going to abandon me when he turns 18 and go off and do his own thing because I'm the old geezer that, that he has nothing in common with. 
So do you feel like your departure from what your parents values was a bad one? No. So if your if your hypothetical offspring had a departure from your values in a way that was just as positive as yours was from your parents, even if it didn't align with what you wanted, wouldn't that be desirable? It, it would, in my opinion, not be a positive departure because if I thought it was positive, I would have departed towards that myself. Mm. See, I, I've, I've had this weird sense, like even as a, as a kid, I would like identify with my future self in a way that like, I'd be like, well, I don't think future Steven will ever think that I'm a complete idiot because he'll understand that I, that I tried. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's, that only tangentially relates in the sense that, you know, in the sense that a child is a continuation of yourself in some way, like if it was genetic. I wouldn't want them to do just what I did because I did it. If they had a, an existence that... But what if it was like, damn, I wish I had thought of that. Right. But I, just, I feel like I have so much more in common with people that I share intellectual space with, that I share memes with, rather than my parents and my siblings that I share genes with. I think that's okay. I think, so from my perspective, if I have a kid and they are diametrically opposed to me on all sorts of different things as long as they are happy and having a good life and a good presence in other people's lives then that's a win even if they leave and don't want to talk to me and think i'm lame and i just imagine them like holding hands with their monogamous spouse like with you at dinner like eating a, like a, a red steak just glaring at you like their that's monogamous the, opposite gender spouse that's, that's the that's the picture in my head that that painted like somebody who's opposite of you i'm picturing all the things that i can't picture you doing um, and i am already pretty fine with those people right and so I, I think that part of it is as long as they didn't go down in ways that like made their lives bad or the lives around them bad if they're a sociopath then right. that's kind of a risk you have to take, but it's also not super likely. Yeah. It's not as likely as the other, as them not being sociopaths. Yeah, something like a one in a hundred chance of having a psychopath. So, and there's probably some factors that in, that, in, that increase or decrease that. So, but mm-hmm. how much better off would my parents have been if all that time and energy they put into me, they had put into cultivating friendships with? Other have you ever asked them that? how they felt? No. Because my parents said that even though both m- me and my brother, we we definitely in different ways turned out not what they expected or necessarily wanted, or not what they proved of, but dad said at no point did he wish ever that we were different people than who we were. Well, I'm going over tomorrow for one of my monthly dinners. Yeah. I'll ask him then. I mean... I bet... I hope, I hope that they'll say that they're happy that you're you. That's exactly... <laughs> I've always felt like a huge disappointment. That's almost a, that's, exa- that's almost exactly what I was going to say, that I hope that they would say. And I don't want to go out too far and say that they're lame if they don't say that, but <laughs> their value should be... It's okay. I, I, can, I can say my parents are lame. It, sh- it should be something along the lines of, look, Inyash, we're... Of course, we wish that your values stayed aligned with ours. However, their version of saying that is, mm-hmm. but we're happy that you are who you are, and we wouldn't, you know, whatever something insert thing. But that's a kind of heavy topic. Yeah, um, well, that's the that's the conversation I had with my parents recently, right? I was like, I think I want to, I think I want to go through with this. I think I want to have a kid, but here's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the environmental impact of having a kid. I'm worried that my kid will turn out a shit. Like they'll be, they'll be horrible and and hurt people all the time and 
And that's when my dad said, you know, at no point did I regret having kids. And at no point did I wish that you were different people. Hmm. So it's pretty solid. Yeah. So I, I thought that was, that was nice as to hear as... that from him because I hadn't before. And I wasn't even sure that that was the case. I get the distinct impression. I'm not going to get that answer. Then fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just saying that just to make you feel better, but that is, I'm prepared to say that it was, it is incorrect of them to think that, no, we'd rather you be unhappy and be with us. Well, I'm sure but, they'd rather that he be happy and be with them. Right. But Which is probably what they think. If only he would come yeah. back to the fold, Jesus would make him happy again. And my parents would really rather that I just stopped by every other day to have tea with them and right. ask, them, ask them about their lives. But I don't do that. They live two blocks away from here. Like, every day they walk by the house to see what's going on. Just kind of give it the old hairy eyeball. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and... My mom owns this house, and uh, I pay rent to her, and she gave me an amazing deal to get me to live close to them. Ah, mm-hmm. tricky. Honestly, I would take that deal. I mean, just for a cheap I place to it. live. Yeah, fuck yeah. This is a nice place. Yeah, I would not take me. that deal from my parents because they have way too much of a wanting to control your life sort of thing. Oh, yeah. My parents don't. Yeah, it would be a thing. They would be like, well, you're staying in our house under a great deal, so you're going to do this, this, Oh, this. yeah, fuck that noise. I would rather live in a shithouse apartment than There's than been a that. bit of that. Yeah. But now it's seeming like a good idea, because if I pop out a kid in four-ish years... It's true. They can they watch can it. They can help take care of the kid. And if I get more parents in, more co-parents in this house... Yes, did we want to move on to that particular no, subject? No, I wanted no? to talk okay. about the morality of adding adding somebody with a huge carbon footprint. I mean, we talked about mm-hmm. the value of human life. Mm-hmm. Humans have a great deal of value to other humans. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the rest of the world, do we have a negative... I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that we have a pretty negative impact on the world, of the non-human part of the world. Someone's going to figure out how to get all that carbon out of the atmosphere, right? <laughs> Might as well be your kid. Be like, Timmy... Man, you have to I'm, become a scientific genius. I'm going <laughs> to shop around hardcore for sperm. <laughs> no. Because I do not have I do not have a sperm source yet. That's what I was going to say is that you could adopt you could adopt Elon Musk's and you you could adopt some scientific savant's kid that they don't have time for and you could just donate <laughs> sperm, right? So uh, if you're concerned about your genetic material getting out there, there's there's other ways to go about doing that. Maybe the best thing Elon Musk can do for humanity right now is not try to find better batteries, but just donate sperm two or three times every day. How old? How old is he? I'm not sure. It's a good question. Let's see what the phone has Musk to say. Is 45. He's right past the age where that starts to sour. That's why he's got to do it three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> he's only got a limited time left. Oh, if you couldn't hear, the phone said he's 45. Yeah, the phone said he's 45, and um, on our subreddit, we had a little discussion about how sperm quality goes down markedly after the age of 40. What if they only wanted to do it the old-fashioned way? Is it worth having Elon's kid if that was the only way to get it? Uh, yes. You'd have to meet the guy first. I'd have to meet him. Yeah. I would have his kid. <laughs> <laughs> you may be a much bigger fan, though. I have, I have one person who I think is listening who I'm sure was shouting that, so I had to get it okay. out there. You're welcome. <laughs> As far as the impact that people have, I mean, it's weird. Like, I'm on more on Katrina's side of the fence as far as, like, considering the rest of the world. And yet, that's not an externality that I'm particularly concerned with. And I might just, might be a failure of intuition there. But especially, I think part of me 
predicates most of my thinking on this in terms that, like, humanity isn't going to spend the next thousand years on Earth. Like, I mean, we'll probably have people hanging out here, but probably a lot less than we'll have elsewhere. I, I was going to backtrack quickly because we were talking about the impact on Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, if I spend time making sure that people who want contraception and family planning are able to access that and I can help prevent unwanted pregnancies, does that mean that I can morally slip a pregnancy of my own in there? I'm going to say yes because I like you, but that's that seems kind of like the opposite of the murder offsets, where if I save three people's lives, I'm I'm allowed to kill one. Well, I, I was just thinking about um, you know vegan arguments, mm-hmm. right? Where if it's difficult, if you really really want to be eating meat, then it makes sense to get other people not right, right? So to donate money towards a a vegan advocacy group an effective vegan advocacy group and that can really help farmed animals more than just you not eating meat yeah i think that's a completely legit offset and uh, it's in keeping with my philosophy that people who don't want to have kids shouldn't have to have kids yes so you can help people who don't maybe have the resources or desire to raise kids I don't think you have to necessarily and feel offset. guilty about having kids at all. How can I offset? Also, although <laughs> consider if your goal was to help as many people have access to child preventative interventions as possible, imagine how much more successful you could be at that if you didn't spend a bunch of time being a parent. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, that's the other issue is all that money and all that time that you spend being a parent, wouldn't it be great if you donated it to the Against Malaria? <laughs> Fun. Yeah, things get slippery when you go that way. It's it's tough to think about. They do because there are so many things that you're totally wasting your time doing when you could be making more money to give to the Against Malaria Fund. And why are you out having fun when you could be? So there's a, there's a level at which that breaks down, right? Or like maybe where it doesn't. Like so, at least as far as I haven't read any of Peter Singer's stuff that he's written in like the last several years. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, he kind of just bites the bullet and he's like, yeah, unless you're living at the level of the people that you're helping you can give more. I contrast that with, like, uh, Will McCaskill of the Center for Effective Altruism is kind of like, you know, as long as you're doing something, you're doing better than almost everybody else. So, by yeah. all means, go forth and have some fun. And what if you have... And what if you are an altruistic person and you have altruist kids who have altruist kids? Mm-hmm. And then they can spend so much more of their time also also helping with human causes. Wait, are we pro but, or are we for or against propagating memes through reproduction? <laughs> right, I was about to say Peter Singer, I don't know how many kids he has. Well, how much but of it? Assuming we, that even if he had zero, even if he had 10 kids, he has done much more to help altruism through his mimetic contribution than his genetic contribution. Yes, but um, genetically we were talking about different contributions. Mm-hmm. So genes seem to be what up to point Eight in extreme cases, or uh, we don't know between 0.5.8. I mean, how many kids did of of somebody's personality? Assuming, assuming first of all that Jesus was a real person that existed, how many kids did Jesus have? Who knows? We're going to go with zero <laughs> because we're already assuming that he existed. So let's let's give him some liberties here. Uh, and yet, he his ideology has had more impact to his to the world than his genes ever could have. Yeah. And I read somewhere that one-third of the men in China are descended from Genghis Khan, which, at that point, I'm like... You don't call him Genghis? Not not ever since 
listening to the Hardcore History Podcast where Dan Carlin corrected me. Oh shit, I bet Dan Carlin's got it right and I've been saying it wrong my whole life. <gasps> well, most people have. All of us have. Yeah. I think he started more than one third of people. Well, not more than one third of people. I thought he was, maybe maybe that was the number, but it was some ridiculously large percentage of people. Are now descended from him, yeah. But I at that point, his contribution doesn't really matter anymore, right? It's so washed out with everything else that's happened in the intervening centuries that what difference does it make how many kids he had? Mm-hmm. The, the, the political system, the political change that he brought made a much bigger impact. So I don't think having kids is really any sort of way to change the world at all. Having kids is like a personal decision, in my mm-hmm. opinion. And if you want to change the world, you go for means. Yeah. Okay. And I think now there's also something to consider that there's a great chance that none of the three of us will be of the scale of Genghis Khan or Elon Musk or Peter Singer or Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. So since we won't be world-changing figures that people will be talking about in 5,000 years, probably. Uh, Maybe we should have the kids and keep the human race going? Something like that. Okay. I'm, I'm not Someone's got to do I'm it. I'm not endorsing that argument, but well, there, someone's there's something to be said for right. Many someones are doing it. There's so another... we don't have to. You certainly you certainly don't have to be the one to keep the human race going. I was, I was trying to make a joke. I hear it. Before we make the transition to family dynamics, I want to, to hint that there is one other way to keep your memes going in a way that's valuable to you, and that's just Ooh. to not die. Yes! So Put it there. That is uh, that is the goal. Maybe that's popular among child-free people. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to have... I don't plan on having kids, but I also don't plan on my beliefs and memes dying out with me, because right. I plan... I'd like not to die. The so. best way to influence the far future is to be around to influence it. I like that. Good luck, Stephen. Thank you. <laughs> I've got contingency plans I don't get place. good luck. Uh, good luck, Ian. Thank she, you. I think she was more confident that you were going to make it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um... She's like, yeah, she don't need luck. You got this covered. You got this. <laughs> so, uh, that's that's a topic for another day, but that is something that I imagine someone bringing up and that crossed my mind as well. So, just wanted to put that out there that that will be talked about eventually. So, what other reasons do you have for having kids? Because I want one. That's a very good reason. I want to do it. Oh. I, I like I like. I think that's the idea of raising kids. I like the idea of 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 having children and going through that process and I don't know it's it's really hard to say because a lot of it's a biological imperative with right. me where I'm just like I walk around and every day I see people with children mm-hmm. and I get a craving yeah. for having a kid and that's a weird thing to be going through <laughs> <laughs> and I get sad oh, like no. I have broken into tears when I thought that I wouldn't be able to have a kid oh. and I still might not be able to what? Because well, there's so many there's so many obstacles to get through before I can, I can do that. I mean, I guess there's some, but statistically, the chances are good. Uh, I don't know. Well, so things that I have to be able to do, I have to find a dad. Statistically, the chances are good. <laughs> <laughs> I have to find a dad who. Unless you're really picky. Which it sounds like you might be. I am. I'm very picky. And the people who I have to pick from. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, all I know are you fuckers. (laughs) Why don't you guys stop being so shitty? Well, so I think... And sire my offspring already. (laughs) (laughs) And be worthy of siring her offspring already. So, so newsflash. Mm -hmm. Although Inyash already knows this. One of Inyash's partners, she and her husband, is that right? Mm Mm-hmm moved in with a partner and their other partner. So they, they merged families with children. Yeah. 
And as soon as I saw that, I was like, now I know someone who's done it. <laughs> awesome. I know it can be done. I, I want to have, um, but I want to have more, more co-parents. So people who are absolutely permanently dedicated yeah. to whatever kids are involved. I think that is a really toxic failure mode of modern, modern nuclear families that it's just the parents in a house on their own in the suburbs Whereas it used to be an entire tribe was there to help you raise your children. Parents would go off and do whatever parenting they had to do and the old people would stay back or however they worked things out. There was much more of a community and a social net to help with children. And now it's just the two parents. And maybe if they can rope in a grandparent or if they hire a nanny or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds like a whole other... Uh, we're much more isolated now. Right, and nannies, nannies are not forever. Yeah, nannies are going to leave at some point. Right, which is because you can't pay them to just hang out in your in your home but with you your children forever. But you can delegate some of like the responsibilities to like not make it so that you have to do everything, or that you and your one partner have to do everything, as in like some dynamics, right? And yeah. that sounds like a recipe for disaster so as well. So there are you know potential grandparents living two blocks away, as I mentioned. Yeah. Um, I think ideally, and I, I've talked about this with, with my spouse, um, ideally we would, I could find somebody who I could be in a romantic relationship with, like a serious long-term committed relationship with, who would live with us if they have a, another partner, that person too. But of course, we would all have to get along, which is one level. <laughs> yeah. We would all have to kind of want this kind of relationship thing. I would have to, in, in this situation, have a romantic relationship with one of those people. And they would have to be a fit genetic parent for my eugenics project. So you're right. That is, that is quite a number of things to clear. It is. Yeah, it's, it's pretty, that's pretty weighty. It doesn't so sound insurmountable, my, though. Not insurmountable. No. The way I see it, I have a couple years to meet said person or people. And Certainly not a weekend project, though. Get to know them, and then a couple more years to kind of make sure that that situation works before adding a kid to it. Unless they already have a kid. Then you're set. Then we're, then we're good to go. Yeah, so there's that. But I think, you know, if that doesn't work out, there's... I don't have to be... We could just find friends and see if anybody is into a family merge that way. Yeah that doesn't have any polyamorous or romantic ties and that um, people are doing that and that seems to be working pretty well. Yeah. Although I I feel like I'd have better luck roping somebody into staying if I could make it. Ties. If there were romantic ties and mostly if it was their genetic offspring. Right. Anchor me. baby. That's what called. <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. I don't want to get us too far from this, but there was one important thing that I forgot to bring up in my decision not to become a parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In that I think I'm much too, I don't know if neurotic is the right word, much too pessimistic isn't it either. I'll, I'll describe it and you guys can tell me what it is. I would be too constantly freaking out about whether or not the kid was like hurt or dying at any given point, right? Yeah. So, you know. You would be one of those hover parents. I wouldn't even necessarily, like, ne necessarily hover, but, like... Just curl up in a corner and just be like... Exactly, <laughs> right? So, Tighten your fingernails. And in a in lighthearted example, let's do the, the heavy-hearted example first. Like, <laughs> my mom told me several years ago that when we were little kids, the elementary school I went to kind of had this, uh, this street on one side of it that you could access by the short path that came down from the school. And she would park down there and we'd be picked up there after school. 
And she, she told me a few years ago that she would sit there and have panic attacks most days hmm. and wonder, like, I kind of filled in the blank for her. And I was like, I totally get where you're going from, where you're going to. You were sitting there thinking, today's going to be the day that they're not going to come down. I'm going to freak out eventually, get out of the car, and there's going to be a crime scene at the school and two dead kids. And that would be crossing my, my mind pretty much every day. And so, like, like Harry mentions in, in Methods of Rationality, when Professor McGonagall offers to help him pay for an owl as a pet, he's like, I had a pet rock once. It died. I think the <laughs> owl, I'd be constantly freaking out about whether or not I feed it, feed, whether or not I fed it, and whether or not it was slowly starving to death in its cage, and whether it was all my fault wondering where its dad was, or that kind of thing. So that, I, I still have dreams about that. About pet. walking in, realizing that I haven't fed my pets in a year, and that... Seeing all these pet carcasses. They're mostly dead, but somehow some of them are alive. Oh, they but, ate the other like, ones. But but they're just starving, and it's horrible, and they've been in anguish for all this time. And I don't mean to paint nightmare scenarios for anybody with that uh, vivid description, but that is something that is definitely a factor in this in the sense that I don't know if I could ever relax. I do and think... relaxation, as I hinted earlier, or as I said explicitly earlier, is very important to me. So the idea of me sitting there constantly trembling in in agonizing fear is not super appealing to me. I do think we have been talking quite a bit about how children are all this time and all this energy and money that we should at least mention the counter-argument uh, by... It was... Brian Kaplan? Maybe. It was one of the economists... Economists... What's the word? Economists. 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 So Brian Kaplan um, published a book mm -hmm. about why having kids is easy and you shouldn't worry about it. Okay, that's the one. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. He went around on a book tour. Is and he, he the was one that billed... does Marginal Revolution? I don't know. Okay. He was, he was billed as the anti-Tiger Mom because yes. the super strict mom book also came out at the same time and yeah. she was also on the interview circuit. And his argument is basically that having kids is not that big a deal. They seem to get very little changes to their life outcomes based on parenting and other environmental influences within and it's, reason within reason yes as long as you don't abuse them and give them you know the basic resources they need food. he referred yeah and he referred to twin studies yeah so people so kids when they grow up after a certain age they somehow revert back to their programming and they are likely to like make the same amount in income mm -hmm. and... regardless of how much you poured into them when they were small mm -hmm. and so his argument is you know what the genes are going to out in the end. Just have as many kids as you want. Don't freak out too much. Let them go play outside. Let them do whatever they want. Have They'll be fun. fine. Yes. And have fun with your kids. That's his basic argument. Yeah. You can afford to have six, seven kids if you want for less than what most people put, pay to do one kid nowadays. I'm glad you guys reminded me of that because that was something else I wanted to bring up. And I heard about it through, um, oh, geez, Jonathan, a professor of psychology at Yale called, sorry, Jonathan Colton. It's going to drive me insane. <laughs> it's my favorite did professor. Did go to Yale. Did he? Or Princeton. I get them confused. Oh, shit. I didn't know. Well, yeah. Um, John Hodgman talks about how they went to school together. Okay. Paul See, I never know if I should believe John Hodgman, though, or if that's part of his character. Oh, I guess that's possible. Was it like an actual serious sit-down interview? Nope. This was his book, okay. <laughs> which is all false knowledge and lies. Right. That's a scary book to put out there. <laughs> Anyway, I heard about exactly what you guys are talking about, and I can't remember who he cited, but Paul Bloom mentioned the same thing, that more or less your kids are going to turn out how they're going to turn out, barring obvious, you know, tying them in a basement kind of thing, genie style, right? Like, as long as they get a bare minimum okay upbringing, they're going to turn out basically however, so they don't need to freak out too much. Uh, which is reassuring for people who, you know, 
might be concerned, so you're worried, you know, whether or not you'll be a good mom. I think that, honestly, if you're worried about that, you're probably gonna be a better parent than many parents who that thought never crosses their mind, or at least not till they've already had kids. Some, some of us might know people like that. So, you know, giving that level of conscientious thought beforehand, I think, is a huge boon. But also, they're basically going to be fine no matter what. You know, just don't starve them. Let them, you know, teach them to read. Or Let maybe they won't loose. be fine, but yeah. you haven't done it to them. Right. In, unless you're really terrible. Yeah. Just <laughs> don't be really terrible. Don't be really terrible. That's a good life lesson. And maybe don't. <laughs> and yeah, But it doesn't matter if you force them to play piano right. at the age of four or not. So, continuing talking about cohabiting families, um, there is a, a recent popular article that I think people are kind of excited about. It, people in California, they got a big mansion, and it's a mansion for single parents. Okay. So, a bunch of different single parents can, can live there with their kids, mm-hmm. and that way they get the benefit of having other parents around that to, look is after, cool. to look after the kidlins, and the kids have the advantage of, if they're, of having siblings having yeah. other kids around. The only issue is that it's not necessarily a permanent setup, so people come and go, or at least they can. So I guess my goal would be to have something as permanent as possible, uh, at least while the kids are growing up. That sounds really intriguing. If that kind of thing were more easily attainable and, I guess, more common, which might make it easier to, to get, I'd be more inclined to have kids, I think. Because like I mentioned, like the idea of being a, a, a nearby uncle is super appealing to me. And, you know, not like I would delegate completely, but the idea that it's not necessarily going to take up 100% of my time every day for 50 years, or at least 20, is more appealing than the alternative, right? Well, there's some great benefits to that. You're not as tired uh, when you're spending time with the kid. So you have more time to pay attention to them um, instead of more just being present while they're doing whatever. And they also have more role models, more different parenting styles. There are people who can deal with different situations better than others. So you're adding a lot, I think, by having more more co-parents or certainly more adults. That said, I did talk to somebody who grew up in a commune, and she said it was terrible for her. Why? Nobody took primary responsibility for the kids. Mm. So there, while there was always an adult around, they she didn't really have... <laughs> it was like a bystander effect for parenting? Yeah, it was a bystander effect. Mm. So there, there weren't parents who were just really like completely focused on raising certain kids. There weren't people that she could always absolutely rely on and know that she was going to be with them and they weren't going to peace out or go somewhere else. Can we elaborate on the word commune in this context? When I think of it, I think of like the fenced-in area where you're not allowed to leave like that recent movie that Hermione was in. <laughs> So um, I'm assuming that's not what you meant. Cause this no. Person... no. Communes are like uh, the hippie farm where everyone... There are a bunch of different kinds of communes that you can have. Um, I but I'm definitely... assuming she was at a hippie commune. Well, I mean, I've definitely known... I had a friend growing up whose parent, who was in a commune. And it was... They had bought out development uh, with a bunch of townhouses. And they would share in the work of doing a community garden, a community vegetable garden, and they would have community dinners and rotate cooking at the community center. See, that is fucking awesome. And the they would have, like, the, the kids would babysit. If I got to ever live in a non-by-myself uh, situation, it would I would want to do something like that, where I'm, I'm in, in a large group, like a commune sort of thing. But, that would be yeah. my... I think that would be my ideal. I would love to try it at any rate because I, I really idealize that and 
just seems like that's a more healthy way to live. But I don't know. I haven't actually tried it, so I can't say for sure. Her setup, um, the, the friend I'm talking about when I was when I was a child, mm-hmm. but they also had they were definitely in separate families. It wasn't that they were all one blended family, and the adults took turns looking after the kids, but no one really took responsibility. Was, there were definitely um, her parents were her parents, right? Right, and responsible for for taking care of her. Like the buck stopped there discipline and stuff like that but they also had all of these other benefits of of other adults being in the community that's that's a separate situation from this other new friend that i have who was who's saying that her upbringing in a commune was was terrible because nobody took primary responsibility for her i don't know some of that sounds attractive yeah that's interesting i don't know it's like a group home i know that there's there's a number of those around the the country various rationalist groups have created yes and something like that would be i wonder if there's another I, word I for it because group home sounds like kind of like a quarter of the way house not like not right, a halfway right. house but the place where you know so mm-hmm. uh but yes i'm familiar with those as well in the rationalist context where it's a big house or a set of condos or something where everyone kind of just does their own mm-hmm. thing that sounds somewhat appealing i don't know part of me is too antisocial to appreciate that maybe but there are also um, there are also setups for single mothers for poor single mothers. Um, oftentimes, you know, who are pregnant as teens, where they are put into living situations in communities with senior citizens, huh. and they have kind of a a work exchange where when the moms go to work, the seniors can stay with the kids and read to them and teach them, in exchange for the moms uh, getting groceries for the seniors or driving them to to and from doctor's appointments and kind of cool, helping actually. each other out. Yeah. yeah, That does sound cool, except for the fact about leaving your baby with somebody you barely know. But assuming like you get a chance to meet them and hang out with them before, it's yes. like, all right, well, watch my kid. I'll be back in eight hours. <laughs> I, hope you're, I hope you guys are both still here when I get back. <laughs> Again, see, that, that's, that was the first thing that came to my mind. That's why I can't be a parent. <laughs> So I didn't These mean old for people it, are gonna steal my kids. I didn't mean for it to go there. My first thinking is like, there's, you know, I would come back and something terrible would have happened. This would be like the one psycho in a movie, and you know, so whatever. Um, yeah, I I'm not <laughs> because of, partly because of that reason. All right. Well, um, I hope that everybody's not judging me too horribly for thinking that I want to have a kid in four years. I don't think anyone's judging. Me. I think that there's a lot of hurdles, so I don't know if it'll happen or not, but. Um, definitely something that I'm I'm leaning towards. No one should be judging for that. You're a very responsible and like articulate person. So like, oh man, certain ex boyfriends have. <laughs> well, I mean, there's reason they're ex boyfriends, right? right? So let's we don't have to name names other than like the fact that like if they didn't think that way and they thought the opposite way, they might not be exes. So screw those guys. Uh, that's that's my. I'm with you. All right, there we go. All right, I'm not alone in being a dick to strangers. So, um, strangers are the best people to be dicks to. Right. All right. Hey, let's do some listener feedback. It's the feedback time. I'll go first, really quick. Okay. okay. We got an email from Westward101, who had lots of uh, ticked separate paragraphs. So we'll just cherry pick a couple of those. One of them said, "See Zub, may I call you Zub?" Uh, First of all, interjecting off text. Mm, no, we don't know each other that well for nicknames, and you didn't give me a real name, so I can't give you a, a shorthand nickname, Westy. Uh, <laughs> in any case, uh, wow. no, uh, I'd prefer not, but I won't stop you. 
So you said that you liked the, the burning building discussion, dropping down the rabbit hole into the value of a painting versus a baby. That's interesting to me. No one mentioned grabbing the painting because it has more value. I wouldn't, but some people would choose the Rembrandt. You can always make another baby. <laughs> that is a line of questioning that we didn't really consider. I think mainly because I don't give objects really any value. They have value because people like them, whereas to some different extent, humans have value innately. To the, you know, however, all the fuzziness around that, you kind of get where I'm going. So, yeah, the idea that, like, well, this painting's worth a lot, so babies we can just manufacture, but this Mona Lisa is the only one in the world. That, I mean, that, I never really cared about that, but maybe someone would. And I can see how they'd make that argument, but that seems like a mm, weird place to go. But rarity, rarity, does that matter to you at all? I mean, when you're talking about, um, I don't know, maybe compare paintings to paintings. Yeah, sure. I mean, if there were literally a million copies of the Mona Lisa that, you know, were hand-painted or something, and they were all identical, then they would be less value. Does it I'm matter assuming. if they're hand-painted? Uh, I mean, I think people yeah, care less about... Yeah, because there are already tons of prints. Yeah, I think people care less about the... Like, about the prints are less expensive. Do they matter if they're hand-painted by Leonardo da Vinci? Because... Some people think so. Okay. So there is an interesting point. It was like, if a painting can be forged well enough to fool experts, it makes me wonder why the original is so valuable. Mm -hmm. Uh, but apparently it is to some people. I don't really get it, but I don't get art. So. And also, pretty soon here, with laser, uh, 3D laser mapping and x-rays, we would be able to reproduce the original in exact perfect format. But it's not the same. Some it, people would say. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, I would take a picture of it. I don't just care. Just like two humans aren't the same. Well, not just like two yeah, humans Yeah, but two humans same. are actually different. Whereas an, an exact reproduction of the Mona Lisa, even down to the thickness of the pigments on the canvas, would basically i mean if you were to cover them both up and then do the magician's thing where you switch back and forth so no one can figure out which one is the real one would it matter some people would be pissed i so, think well, be certainly some people yeah. would be pissed yeah wait so does that mean that um if there are two copies of steven steven and his twin what's what's his name scott steven and scott it wouldn't be as big a deal if if one of them were exterminated. No, because genetic information is only a small part of what makes them unique. True. Yeah, I think an, there's an important distinction but between, like... But compared to two completely unrelated people? Um, no. no. <laughs> because, I mean, like, to the like to whatever makes me valuable, and the extent that some of that comes from our genetics, it also makes Scott, Scott valuable. You know, in, in excluding all the stuff that is epigenetic. Mm -hmm. Whereas, like, a painting, if it is molecule for molecule as close as can possibly be that's kind of all there is to the painting there's no there's nothing like there's nothing that it's like to be the painting that we'd be losing if one was lost uh there was an interesting experiment done some years ago where you could even ask like secularists and atheists you know would you give i'll give you ten thousand dollars to take your wedding ring make an atom for atom copy and then destroy the original would you be okay with that and most people were like well no way this one's sentimental it's magic it's like no we're going to duplicate it like in a star wars-esque or Star Trek-esque copier. I'd be fine with that. It's just a ring. Right. But some some people have, like, a sentimental value. Intellectually, and... I'd be fine with that. But I would still feel a little twinge that I wouldn't admit to anyone. Yeah, kind of the same, right? So, yeah. like, I would, I would take the money, but I'd be like, aw. But I can, <laughs> so I, I, can, I can see where they're coming from, but I think they're, they're, there's an obviously correct answer there. That, like, the thing yeah. doesn't have an important aspect to it that you're, you're losing by duplicating it. There is, yeah, there's definitely a correct answer. It just making your emotions line up with that answer is a hell of a trick. Yes. Also, the painting doesn't give a care. You know, speaking of the burning building and the painting thing, I was listening to a Radiolab episode where it was uh, recorded in, I think, 
Haiti after a major earthquake. Uh, after the major earthquake? Uh, I'm not sure if it was the major one. I actually don't even know if it was Haiti. Uh, I think it was definitely some developing country, though. There was It, it was an episode about triage, and there was an old lady with uh, emphysema who was dying slowly, who had to have oxygen every day. And after this particular disaster, the oxygen was running low, and they needed it to help younger people who were going to live longer anyway. Mm. The old lady only had maybe a few months left in her. Uh, but she was the sweetest old lady in the world, and everyone loved her. And at one point, they were transferring her to a different hospital, and she just had her one oxygen tank, and they were like, this is the last one for her. She doesn't get another one. We need it to help other people. And... In the episode, they were recording it live in the ambulance as she was running out of air and gasping for more oxygen. And I was like, I know this is the correct answer on utilitarian terms, but motherfucker, someone give her some fucking oxygen. I cannot listen to this. And maybe you didn't sign up for the feels on a Radio Lab episode. That sounds kind of too heavy just to throw at you. Yeah. Why didn't they bring oxygen? Uh, the story continues, and I'm going to leave everyone in suspense, and they can hear for themselves whether or not she lived through this. Great, then you get to link to the episode. Yes, I will do that. <laughs> it, was, it, was really, it was really an interesting thing I learned about myself, because I had always been of the opinion, this is the right thing to do, even though we don't know how many lives may be lost by... By giving the oxygen to this old lady that only has a few months anyway, it's the right thing to do to let her die, and I could not freaking do it. And I wasn't even there. I was listening to a pre-recorded episode that had happened months ago, thousands of miles away, and I was freaking out. Damn. That reminds me, so why couldn't they just give her oxygen? Because resource distribution is sometimes tough, which mm -hmm. we brought up overpopulation in the episode, and right now on Earth, people, some people, I don't think anyone really worth listening to is talking about like oh the earth's already overpopulated and it's like no it's not there's plenty but of stuff plenty of people worth listening to say that uh okay i will i'll take your word for it i guess i don't for me like it's not like there's too many people it's just resource distribution's hard so like in the extent that they're going to qualify it in well, that way that's, that's what people mean when they say there's too many people well or they're like they're just you know I, I i tend to hear it in less articulate forms so let me let me Take back what I said about no one worth listening to. <laughs> unless, unless they're going to qualify that statement with some further reasoning, they're not worth listening to. But yeah, right now, it's not like there's just too many, period. It's, there's too many because. And the main thing is, like, yeah, we just need to find an easier way to get stuff to them. Um, I want to finish up Westward's email really quick. And we're going to skip around a little bit. How do you pronounce Bayesian? Is it Bayesian or Bayesian? And I say it both ways. You it's ask Bayesian. Bayesian. Bayesian? Bayesian? <laughs> I say it both ways. I If there's an official ruling... I think that there's probably second preference and it's whatever one is the other one and you can probably go either way. Yeah, so. do whatever you want. And then two, two quick facts that I thought were interesting that we didn't bring up during our animals episodes. Lots of animals are granted rights, not just companion animals. There's individual versus species issues again, but endangered species lists are an example of, of animals given protective status, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Like, yeah, we'll stomp around and not really care until they're almost gone. It's like, oh shit, we need to get our shit together. Which is, you know, at least we're doing that, so Until, sometimes. depending on the animal, they no longer provide any ecosystem services because there are so few of them. Yeah, sometimes I think it'll it'll be tough, but at least there's some trepidation about just wiping a species off the planet today, most cases. And I didn't know this, assuming this is true, there are more tigers in private ownership in the continental U.S. than exist in the wild world, that in, than exist in the wild worldwide. I've certainly heard that before. Um, I, I think that. it. I think it may well be true. Does private ownership include like ones that are like live in wildlife sanctuaries or like ones that live in people's backyards? I 
believe it would be sanctuaries and zoos as well. Oh, okay, then that's not nearly as bad as my first interpretation. It well, how do you think they get to the sanctuaries? Right, from people's backyards. But I prefer more be, more be in sanctuaries than in backyards. Right, but, but he means as composed to out in the wild where no human is responsible for them. Yeah, that's a bummer. Tigers are fucking awesome. Guys, don't pay to take pictures with tigers. It's always a bad situation. Yeah. PSA. Unless, like, you know, it's a selfie through a fence. Um, it's a, a selfie through a fence? Yeah. <laughs> okay. What about uh, the white tigers that they have down in Vegas with the, the two guys who love the tigers a lot? Uh, Roy and Siegfried and Roy? Y- you mean one of them got horribly mauled by one of the tigers? I do, yes, he did. Yeah. No, but it was because the tiger loved him so much, right? That's because... <laughs> I, I'm not going to go into this right now, but mm. I'll go ahead and put up some resources on the site. So those tigers are also not terribly well treated? Well, one of the issues with well-performing animals in circus-type situations kind of like that are not well-treated because it's really hard to treat a tiger well in captivity like that. Mm. Um, also, you know, making them work. and But uh, it also encourages people to try to get tigers as pets. Womp. So yeah. As much fun as it would be to have a giant cat as a pet, they're just not for it yet. Yet. Growth mindset. We can, <laughs> we can make them later. Yeah. We, we almost have the technology. <laughs> Alright, you're up. Uh, so, continuing from what we said earlier about having a hard time making emotions line up with what we have decided is the right decision, or what we hope is the right decision based on analysis anyway, Mr. Oliva says that when he's confronted with information about, uh, this is on our Politics is the Mind Killer episode, uh, he tries Political to... Political Pitfalls is the name of the episode. Oh, I'm sorry. Political pitfalls. Yes. that he. We tra- should know this. <laughs> we should. We were the ones that recorded it. Uh, that he tries to get his news from unbiased sources to counter the, the normal bias that he encounters. And he says that he thinks he falls into overcompensation bias and favors candidates more equally than perhaps I should on an emotional level. Uh, he says, I'd like to have my emotional reaction to a candidate be the same as my intellectual reaction to them which would be a fair analysis of the policy's utility to me. And I think that is a good point, and I have, I have I don't know how to do that, because to to really analyze something intellectually, you kind of have to emotionally distance yourself from it, right? Um, I'm not sure if you have to have to. Like, sometimes they, I guess it depends. Like we mentioned, sometimes they, they don't match up. But if you have, if you come into something emotionally, you're generally pulling in some sort of bias with you, right? Mm. Yeah. If you start that way. Yeah. So, um, if somebody has an abhorrent position on a policy issue, mm-hmm. then why not feel angry about that? Right. If they have power. Exactly. But if you really want to analyze it, you then have to kind of suppress that anger for a while and really give it a fair shake while you look into the details and see their argument, whether it really is abhorrent or not. Because you don't know, you can't base it just on your emotional reaction. I don't know about you, but I get kind of tired of all the scandals and don't yeah. want to listen to them anymore. And I, I think to myself, well, I should really look into this and see what what the real, what the truth is about this. And then I'm just like, I don't even want to click on it. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I don't want to have to change my mind again. It's an endurance thing. Politics is an, in, is an endurance sport. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I can't really do it, but this I, season's I tr- almost over. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I try to do that, but I, I get where he's coming from, because then afterwards, it's hard to make, once you've decided, no, this really actually is terrible, and 
we shouldn't exterminate all the Jews, it's <laughs> or whatever the situation may be, it's harder to get your emotions back up to that point again where they're where you feel it <laughs> viscerally, right? No, I know. You don't think so? No. Not in that particular circumstance. I'm <laughs> struggling with that example. See, I, but, th- th- this is what I refer to as the you make an excellent case for infant- infanticide problem. Right. That uh, you, you've, if you stop and you really consider the situation, you're like, okay, no, you're still wrong, but now it's no longer a emotional gut reaction like go to hell for even suggesting it. It's now you're just, you're wrong and I reject your position. And you have to remember what what rejecting it means, uh, rather than feeling I, it emotionally, right? I don't think you have to get really upset about it again. No? Can... I think you should get really upset about it, if it's something like exterminating all the Jews. It, or... Again, that's really easy to get upset about again, yeah. okay. compared to some other stuff. <laughs> um... Yeah, I I happened to watch the third debate mm-hmm. with a bunch of super liberal nonprofit leaders, which was cool. Mm-hmm. But I also found myself kind of thinking, why are they complaining about people's hairdos so often and how they look? And huh. you know, someone walks in and and someone says, "Oh my God, he's so fat." And like the fatness of Mr. Trump should should have no impact on how you feel about about yeah. this and that was I agree. I don't know. I, I would um, not want to pull that emotion back in. And there was somebody else who was saying, I can't believe that anybody with half a brain oh. would support this candidate and I'm like, Okay, so this is I think that that's not a healthy way to look at it because obviously people with full brains do. Mm-hmm. So the question is why, and what are you missing, and what perspective are you, do you need to understand better? That's exactly right. That if you literally, if you say something along the lines of, I literally can't imagine what they're thinking, then you're not, you're, you have a poor imagination, or you're not trying hard enough. There's some inter- internal narrative to somebody who's going to vote for the candidate that you don't like that makes sense to them, and that is probably comprehensible to you if you had it explained, or just thought it through really well. Right. Yeah, or at least you would understand why, even if you deeply, deeply disagree with them. Yeah. But I guess that's kind of easy for me to say, because I don't have the depths of that immediate emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it's easy for me to kind of overcome that. <laughs> I I don't know. I I of course have not overcome that, but it's easy for me to ask the question: Why do people feel this way? in a meaningful way that's not just they're idiots i think it's a good question but then more people should strive but to then ask your problem it. is once you've asked so people who feel this way are not idiots why do they feel this way you have problems getting back to the fire in your belly that you had when you were railing against the stupidity before you before you thought about it a little bit more <laughs> No. No. I mean, I don't know. I think you do. And to me, that's 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 a good thing, and that's one of the intended consequences, is that once you understand where your opponent is coming from, it's hard to like think of them as mindless idiots. Right. Or obviously wrong, or obviously half-brained, or whatever the words are, right? So. Well, I don't want to get to the point where I'm throwing firebombs into the RNC offices anywhere. Oh. Right? Because that is just not... That is what that level of emotion can lead to. It's not productive. And no, it's not. It's It makes the whole thing worse. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was advocating for, was it? No, no, no. Yeah, no I was, it's not. I think I was arguing for the opposite. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, not even a, I'm not even a fan of vandalizing, like, signs in people's yards. 
You know, like let people have their free speech. You know, let them let them vote for whoever they want. Let them talk about who they like more than that's like kind of the whole point. To the to the extent that you value democracy at all, that's kind of the point. Either get on board with people who are like, no, democracy sucks, or just accept some people will disagree with you. Or get angry about people being stupid, but don't bomb things. That's, that's terrible. Please don't bomb things. If you're that angry, you're probably not trying to. You're probably not imagining your opponent's position well enough. The, they almost certainly aren't worth bombing. Also, you're being counterproductive. If you're that angry, do something that is actually productive. What well, about the argument that um, we're all, we we can think that way because we're privileged mm-hmm. and we're not the people who are directly affected. We're not going to be um, deported if so and so gets into power. We're not going to be you know denied these basic rights. Right. I still sort of don't think that murdering strangers is your best way to go about getting your getting your position heard. No, there are limits, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there are other ways to, to campaign for what you prefer. And I mean, let's turn it up to 11 and go back to, to, to you know, kill all the Jews, right? Like, at that point, maybe it would be worth it to start just murdering people who are, you know, for exterminating you. But uh, I'm not really prepared to dive down that rabbit hole. Okay, that's, that's a, that's definitely a not in the listener feedback section. All right, well, thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that, that is where it gets interesting, but that's also where I'm I'm more confused and less willing to take any sort of stance. The The safest stance to say is to say, don't ever resort to actually killing people. Moving on, I can't find this comment again, and it might have been in an email that, we, that I can't find or something. Uh, so from Westward... When we were talking about what gives an entity moral worth, and I said that if I can talk to someone and recognize them as a person, then I'm willing to extend them the rights. Westwood 101 says, Just whether an entity would pass a Turing test doesn't cut it for me. That's a pretty limited skill set, and one I bet could happen in the next decade. And my reply to this is that, obviously the Turing test is not foolproof, like any other test that can be gamed, but if I'm talking to someone... And I can't tell if that person is my lover or a really good copy of my lover. I am not willing to take the risk that it's a non-conscious copy and it's okay to take away their rights or kill them or whatever. If it's gotten to the point where I can't tell the difference between a, quote, real person and this person that I'm talking to, I am more than willing to say I'm going to err on the side of not murdering people potential people and stripping them of their rights and treat it as a real person. The thing I like about that reply is that it's generalizable and that's valuable to me as far as general rulemaking. So yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, yeah, Turing test aside, I, I mean, it's a weird test. There's, uh, there are humans who fail it. They do an annual competition every year, mm-hmm. or I guess that's what annual means. Um, <laughs> and there are people who are voted as less human than some of the programs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it obviously has a couple quirks to work out. So, I mean, that's why it's not like the, that's it, that's the test we know now mm-hmm. kind of situation. But it's it's the the first step to thinking, all right, are we going to take this seriously or not? So, anyway. And I think we're done. I think, I think we're done. I think uh, we had some discussion on the subreddit and stuff, but a lot of the stuff was uh, addressed there and we can't go into all of it. But I do like these listener feedback sections. So um, do keep writing in. We've got the website where you can add a comment you can email us it is called the bayesianconspiracy.com that's right email us at bayesianconspiracypodcast at gmail.com or comment at the subreddit under slash r slash the bayesianconspiracy that's it those are the only ways
Stop trying to contact us in other ways. I don't know how you got my phone number, but I don't like it. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Or, ah, fuck it. Let's try that one more time. No, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Yeah, but see them. I, I oh, hedged on that. I know, oh I suck. Oh, speech. All right. Thanks for listening. Come back in a couple weeks for the next episode. Bye. Bye. I just found out how to get a vegan pumpkin spice latte. <laughs>